Bonjour, mesdames et messieurs, and welcome to the Longevity and Lifestyle Podcast, where I invite pioneers and thought leaders in their respective fields to give us the strategies, tools, and practices to live better and help reach our human potential. Today's guest is Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist. She is passionate about improving education about the perimenopause and menopause, and also improving awareness of safe prescribing of HRT, or hormone replacement therapy, to healthcare professionals. In her clinical practice, she offers women evidence-based and holistic care for their perimenopause and menopause. In 2020, Dr. Newson launched the award-winning Balance Menopause app that's spelled Balance, B-A-L-A-N-C-E, which is a free app that enables women to track their symptoms, access personalized expert content, and share their stories. Dr. Newson has written the Menopause Manual, which became an Amazon bestseller, and is bringing out a new book entitled Preparing for the Perimenopause and Menopause later this year. Dr. Newson also launched the Menopause Charity, which, with the help of ambassadors such as Davina McCall and Lorraine Kelly, helps women and their families with the challenges caused by the menopause. Further great information on all aspects of perimenopause, menopause, and Dr. Louise Newson can be found on her website, www menopausedoctor.co.uk. Dr. Louise Newson is on a mission to educate women and health professionals about the perimenopause and menopause and to provide accurate and unbiased support to women and their families to live in optimal health longer. In today's episode, we cover telltale symptoms, the importance of estrogen, health risks of not treating this critical time in women's lives appropriately, from increased risk of heart disease, diabetes, dementia, osteoporosis, and cancer, the importance of hormone replacement therapy, the fantastic free resources she has created, including the Balance app to help women understand and optimize their health for a better quality of life, and much more. Please enjoy. Welcome to the Longevity and Lifestyle podcast, Dr. Louise Newson. Such a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you for inviting me. It's great. I'd like to start with what exactly is perimenopause and menopause and why is it such a critical time in women's life to manage appropriately? So if we look at the menopause first, even if you just break down the word menopause, meno means the menstrual cycle. So when we have our periods and pause obviously means a stop. So with the menopause, you can't officially be menopausal until you've had at least a year since your last period. So actually on that day, a year since the last period, you are menopausal. And after that time, a lot of people say you're postmenopausal. So after the menopause, but a lot of women find that they start to experience menopausal symptoms before their periods stop. And when we talk about this, that, that means those women are perimenopausal. So peri is a medical term for around the time of. A lot of women find their periods start to change a few years before their actual menopause. Sometimes it's a decade before. And so it can be very hard to know that the symptoms are related to the changing hormone levels. For most women, the menopause is natural. It's just something that happens as we get older because our eggs in our ovaries run out and the associated hormones decline. For around one in 100 women under the age of 40, they have an early menopause, and we call this premature ovarian insufficiency. And it can affect one in 1,000 women under the age of 30. 
So no one's ever too young to be menopausal. My youngest patient is 14, actually. She never had her menopause ever started. And once a woman has gone through the menopause, she'll always be postmenopausal. So she'll always have low hormones. And it's really important that it's addressed because there are numerous symptoms which we can talk about that really affect women, but also there are health risks as well. And because as women, we're living longer, we're here to stay um, longer than we perhaps were 100 years ago. It's really important that it's addressed and and acknowledged because women's lives are suffering, their health is suffering, and actually it's having a big impact on global health and the economy as well. So it's, it's a huge problem that has been sort of pushed under the carpet and not discussed in the right way, I think, for many years, and that has to change. Mm-hmm. And you're bringing it to light. You touched on a lot of interesting points there. I'd like to start with some of the main symptoms and health effects of the menopause. Could you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So the most important hormone for women is estrogen. And when you think we have cells that respond to the hormone estrogen everywhere in our body, there's, I can't think of a cell that doesn't have an estrogen receptor on it. So when you think about that, then you think, well, actually, what does low estrogen do, which is what happens, obviously, during the menopause and afterwards? Well, it can affect all these cells. so They don't function as well. So cells in our brain can be affected. So a lot of people find they have memory concentration problems. They feel more anxious, lower in their mood, reduce self-esteem, poor sleep, poor concentration, apathy, just less enjoyment of life. And this is because the brain isn't working properly. People can have dry eyes, dry, sore mouth, even have tinnitus. People find often that they have headaches or worsening migraines. Palpitations can occur. People can get muscle and joint pains. People can get urine infections. People can get vaginal dryness sometimes because estrogen lines the vagina as well. And obviously hot flushes and night sweats are very common symptoms. Around 75% of women will experience them at some time. But actually, those aren't the symptoms that affect people the most. They're not the ones that really affect the way that they live and function. But then because estrogen is so important in our bodies, we know that when hormone levels reduce, then women have these health risks. So there's an increased risk of diseases such as heart disease, diabetes, osteoporosis, dementia, and even different types of cancer can increase because the hormone estrogen is so critical to the way our bodies function. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's quite so doom and gloom, actually. Being that's quite a long list of symptoms <laughs> yeah. and issues, though, all the more important to actually address it uh, early and understand more about it. And one point you also touched on is, you know, why in your view is there so little information? And I, I obviously you're bringing this more and more to the forefront, but why is this not discussed more, especially generation of sort of my mother? No one really mm-hmm. talked about it. I think it's because there's been a lot of misunderstanding. I think Mm -hmm. for many years, people have just thought that the menopause is due to hot flushes and sweats, and it's something we just need to get through because other generations have. They haven't seen it as a marker for future disease. So I think that's one issue. I think also for the last 20 years, women, the media, healthcare professionals have been given really inaccurate information about the evidence about the safety and effectiveness of HRT. So we've all been told that it has risks and it's dangerous. So when you think there's no treatment for something, there's no point talking about it. You might as well just get through it or just survive or soldier on. 
Whereas obviously a lot of the work I'm doing is about giving women and men evidence-based information, and then they can make the decisions themselves. And Mm -hmm. so I think decision-making has to be done based on the good available evidence, which has been not available actually for women and healthcare professionals for many years. So it's trying to change the narrative actually about it is really important. Excellent. I'd like to take a step back and ask you about your journey to becoming a menopause specialist and why has this been such a passion for you? Yeah, it's really interesting. If I'd met you five, six years ago and you told me that I would be doing menopause 24 seven, <laughs> I would have just laughed and said, actually, no, I don't, I don't really think so. And I think it's the more stories that I hear, the more compelled I am to work harder and The menopause is one of these things, someone said to me the other day, actually, once you start to see it, you can't unsee it. Mm -hmm. And when I started to think about the bigger problems of the menopause and all the symptoms, every single woman, actually, pretty much, certainly every woman over the age of 40 who used to come and see me in general practice, I would somehow get menopause into the conversation. And, you know, even one lady once, she just came for a quick consultation. She needed a top up of her eczema cream and she's 52. And I thought, right, let me just see. And I, I said, oh, so eczema, yeah. Has that got worse recently? Oh yeah, a lot worse. What are your periods like? She said, look, Dr. Newsom, please do not talk to me about my periods. You're, I'm here for my eczema cream. And I knew her quite well. So she was laughing mm-hmm. and she said, well, actually they stopped two years ago, my periods. And you're right, my skin has got so much worse. It's very dry, it's very itchy. My eczema has flared up beyond recognition. And then I gave her the symptom questionnaire that we have on our app balance and asked her to fill it out. And she had lots of these symptoms. And I said, but how are they having an impact on you? She said, well, I have given up my job as a lawyer because I just couldn't concentrate, but I thought it was because... Now I'm 50, I'm older, and I shouldn't be working this hard. And so anyway, she obviously went out with a prescription of HRT. And three months later, she came back and she said, my goodness me, I'm applying for another job. I have no idea this was related to my hormones. And I was sort of a bit cheeky. I was playing with a consultation because I knew her well. She knew I was getting an interest in the menopause. But I then thought, wow, I've missed hundreds, if not thousands of patients over the years. You know, even when I was doing an A&E, a casualty job in Manchester, lots of women would come in with dizzy spells, with palpitations, with headaches. I didn't even think about their periods because no one had taught me how important these symptoms are. So yeah, it's, it's one of those things though that I do a lot of work obviously in my clinic, but then I'm always thinking about how can we reach other women who are disadvantaged? How can we reach women who don't have English as a first language? How do we reach women who maybe can't read or can't access good quality healthcare. And and it's such a difficult problem because it affects every woman. No one can hide from it, but we need to reach all women. Everyone should have the same opportunity to receive good quality advice, treatment and education about their own menopause. Yeah. I love that anecdote uh, that you said as well. Really fantastic. And and you touched on a few points also about bringing positive change and spreading the word. Maybe you can talk about some of the successes you've had in raising awareness. And you've also created an award-winning app, the Balance app, that I'd love you to, to talk a bit about as well to hopefully make information more accessible. Yeah, I think when I first decided I wanted to become a menopause specialist and do more work, I went to some conferences, which I go to regularly, obviously, to keep updated. And I was listening to all these really learned professors thinking, 
actually women aren't getting HRT. You're telling me how safe it is, but what's happening? Why aren't they getting it? And so then I started to think women need to actually be given information and how are we going to do this? And, you know, when I graduated after being at medical school, there was no internet. It was really hard to get information. And thankfully, obviously, it's so easy to get information, but it's also so easy to get wrong information. So I was determined to give women the ability to have proper education where it wasn't sponsored by anything. I don't work with any pharmaceutical companies. I don't have any endorsements on my website. So I wanted women to have a place where they could go that was safe and that they got the right information. So I started to reach women through my website. And then I thought, actually, I really want to do it bigger. So I'll try and approach the media because sadly they've been given wrong information and got it wrong. And so the more media work I've done, the more I've realized how important that is. But also social media is really important. And one of my daughters taught me how to use Instagram a few years ago. And now I have this tradition where I post every morning when I wake up and you know, it has a great following. And it's, a, it's made me realize then how women can help other women, actually. And I can't do everything. I'm only one person. So I wanted to create an app again to try and reach women because a lot more women have phones than the Internet sometimes or I just thought it would be a really useful tool, but it took a lot of time to actually develop and obviously a lot of resources as well. But we found something I think that's really special and unique because with their free app balance, women can monitor their symptoms, they can track their periods, they can report how various treatments have helped or not helped them. They can be part of a community and there's a great community already that we really want to expand on. And what I want to do with the app is to enable women to have the right support and information so they can be really empowered to the point of seeing their healthcare professional. So whichever the country they're in, they can get help and really help with the consultation process, actually help with a healthcare professional to be given the right information because too many women are either fobbed off or given unnecessary antidepressants or alternative treatments or referred for more investigations. And so this way, I'm hoping it will really help. And we've already had some great feedback about how it's changed their future, actually, which is really rewarding to hear. That's really excellent. And also to have more informed and educated conversations with their doctors. Mm. You touched on one point before that during your medical training, you didn't really have training in this area. Is this now menopause taught better in medical school than it used to be? Or do you see this still as a gap in medical training? I'd love to say yes, but I can't, sadly, because so many people are still not educated. And it's not just doctors, actually nurses, but any healthcare professional that sees adult women as part of their work in my mind, has to know something about the menopause. Even if they're not prescribing, they still should know to acknowledge and recognize the symptoms or potential symptoms. So it's still very much sort of hidden in a lot of curriculum. A lot of people are taught by gynecologists, and I'm really not sure why gynecologists have been lumbered almost with the menopause, because the menopause is when our periods stop. So why would I go and see a gynecologist if I was menopausal? It's They're experts at problems with the pelvic organs and they're surgeons as well. And so the menopause should be managed really by physicians, by primary care. So GPs mainly, also nurses, pharmacists as well, I think have a really important role to play. So I feel it should be seen as a female hormone deficiency with health risks and Mm -hmm. 
We need to get it into every specialty, actually. So we're setting up a menopause society where we've already got people who are neurologists, urologists, rheumatologists, cardiologists who are involved and also pelvic floor physiotherapists and other practitioners. So we can listen to women at all angles as well. So if a woman goes to her chemist to get medication for a headache and the pharmacist is trained, they might still say, look at this questionnaire, download the app, think Mm -hmm. about your hormones, headaches can worsen during the menopause, rather than just saying, here you go, have some paracetamol and brew and this will help, you know. So the more the conversation is normalized by everyone, then it helps, you know, someone goes for a smear, a cervical screening test, for example, and it's a bit uncomfortable, rather than the nurse saying, oh, it will be over soon, the nurse will say, oh, is this uncomfortable? Are you finding intercourse difficult? this is a really common symptom of the menopause. There's some treatments available. Have a leaflet, go and have a read, come back if you'd like to talk again. All these little conversations are going to make women's future health so much better. Mm -hmm. And actually, it's also going to reduce them going back and forth to different healthcare providers, which will then free up more appointments. So people with other problems can then get appointments because there's a lot of perimenopausal and menopausal women clogging up the healthcare systems, not their fault, but because they have this myriad of symptoms, they are feeling ill, they're getting symptoms, they're not being addressed properly, and they're just being either referred or treated and given wrong information. And that's a real shame for these women, but it's also a real shame for health economies as well. You discussed or mentioned HRT or hormone replacement therapy. For people unfamiliar, I'd like to just take a bit of a deep dive into that. Can you walk us through the different types of hormones, the benefits, potential side effects and risks? Yeah, so over in the UK, we call it HRT, hormone replacement therapy. Some other Mm -hmm. countries call it MHT, so menopausal hormonal therapy. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter what it's called. It's just hormones. And it's actually not even replacing. It's giving back what's missing. So a lot of women who are perimenopausal, their hormones just start to decline. So we don't replace the hormones. We just top up the missing amounts. Mm -hmm. And so I've already said estrogen is the most important hormone. So estrogen is a hormone that we give back in HRT or MHT. And the safest way of having that is through the skin as a patch gel or there's a spray as well. And that way it goes straight through the skin into the bloodstream. There's no risk of clot or stroke with it. So it's very, very safe. And then if a woman still has her womb, then she has a progesterone. Normally we give a body identical progesterone. Some women have the marina coil, which is a synthetic progesterone coil. And that protects the lining of the womb from the effects of estrogen. And then there's another hormone that we produce from our ovaries, which declines as we age called testosterone which everyone knows is the male hormone, but we produce about three times more testosterone than estrogen before the menopause. So this declines as we get older, or if our ovaries are removed in an operation, our levels will reduce very quickly. And testosterone is a very important hormone as well. So HRT is just about a combination of the hormones if that's needed, or maybe just estrogen. And we can give it at different doses, different types, and very much women should have individualized consultations to have the right dose and type for them. Could you talk about that a little bit? So it's a blood test that is done. And then depending on different criteria, depending on the person, it's personalized and the doses and the frequency. Is that right? Well, yes and no, really. So we don't do a blood test before usually. So you don't have a blood test to diagnose the menopause or perimenopause because 
blood tests are really unreliable. And certainly in the perimenopause, our hormones are fluctuating all the time. So you might do a blood test, which is normal. And that woman might be feeling fine at that time. But in three in the morning, when she's having a really bad night sweat and waking up with crippling anxiety, a blood test result then would be very low. But who's going to do a blood test at three in the morning? <laughs> so it's not always helpful. So we usually don't do blood tests. If people are younger, we often do do them. But again, a normal blood test wouldn't stop me giving someone HRT. We sometimes do blood tests once someone taking HRT, especially if they're still having symptoms, to assess whether they're absorbing it properly, whether we need to change it or change the formulation. For example, if a patch isn't sticking on well or the gel's not rubbing in very well and the blood test is low, then we might change the dose or type. But it's more looking at the symptoms and how they respond and improve to symptoms. So all we're trying to do is to minimize symptoms because you're treating the underlying cause. So if a woman's symptoms are related to her hormones, then they usually improve with having HRT. So the Longevity and Lifestyle podcast is also about optimizing and catching Mm. things early. So from what age would you recommend women start getting on top of their hormones? And what are the main ones? Well, we talked about testing, but you said it's hard to test. So if you're getting on top of it or want to get on top of it early, how would you go about doing that? So the important thing is recognizing symptoms early. Mm. And it's really difficult. Like you say, without a blood test, you might be thinking, well, how on earth do I know? Well, if your periods are changing in nature or frequency and you're getting symptoms which have just started, then you just put two and two together and make four rather than 400. And it's usually very much like related to hormones. We often start with a lowish dose when people are perimenopausal. And within two or three months, women usually say, I've started to feel so much better. I've got more memory, more concentration, more stamina. A lot of my other symptoms have improved. So then you've answered the question, is it related to my hormones? With the whole longevity, if you think about estrogen as an anti-inflammatory agent, we know it reduces inflammation in our bones, in our muscles, in our heart. And so that's why it's so important at reducing risk of all these diseases. If we don't have estrogen or our levels of estrogen are low, we get this pro-inflammatory state, which is actually very negative for the body and can accelerate aging. So I'm sure you're aware of this whole term called inflammaging. So it's yeah. inflammation due to and accelerates aging. And this is really pivotal. We've known for many years, decades, how important estrogen is at reducing inflammation. And we've also known that inflammation causes lots of diseases, even including diseases such as clinical depression or some types of cancer as well. And I've also got an immunology degree, actually, as well as a medical degree. So looking back at some of the immunology I learned in the 90s, it all fits into place, actually, about how keeping a really healthy immune system is really pivotal, not just for helping fight infections, but helping reduce disease and keeping really healthy as we age, which is so important, isn't it? Completely. Is there cases where you would recommend people to get onto estrogen because of its effects and its power pre-perimenopause even, or is that not necessary or not helpful? Only if someone's got PMS or PMT, so premenstrual syndrome, often they feel worse just before the few days or so before their periods. 
And that's because physiologically what happens is estrogen levels decline just before the periods. And so some women, we do give estrogen usually as a gel just for those few days to top up again, just to replace their missing hormones. So those women, we often start a bit of hormone replacement therapy for, but it's having your hormones optimized because we know that once people start to reduce their estrogen, that's when you get this rapid bone turnover, more inflammation in the body. So the key is picking it up early. You know, Mm -hmm. I see and speak to a lot of women who have been suffering with symptoms for five, 10, 15, sometimes longer years, Mm -hmm. and then they can still take HRT, but it's, their bodies have had this sort of long period of time where they haven't had a hormone that is so important for the way that we function. So the earlier, the better, you know, in an ideal world, there wouldn't be a menopause because we would all be on it and working out what's wrong early, picking it up, getting the right treatment. Just speaking with friends as well, have had children, you have that brain fog, et cetera, which, you know, I think there's a bit of an overlap of symptoms that happen. And I guess for some, it's unclear, you know, is this just baby sort of years and baby brain, as some people call it, or is this to do with perimenopause years, if sort of your late thirties? And do you find that in patients, it's very difficult to differentiate? It is very difficult, but it's exactly the same etiology. So obviously when mm-hmm. people have babies, their hormone levels drop very quickly. So, and a lot of women who are breastfeeding often get night sweats, but that's also because of the drop in estrogen. So some people find that they improve when their children get a bit older, but if they don't, then it's likely that it is still related to their hormones. And In fact, one of my patients recently had a baby, her first baby when she was 48. So quite old in some ways. And then Mm -hmm. she had very scanty periods, but she breastfed for a couple of years. So everyone just said, oh, it's because you're old, you're an old mom and you've got a baby and you're still breastfeeding. And, And she realized she thought something else, it wasn't quite right. And so anyway, she came to see me and I gave her some hormones and within days she started to feel herself. And so it's difficult. I mean, I was... 40 when I had my third child and I wish I'd started taking HRT a lot earlier but hindsight's a good thing isn't it so I think (laughs) but also you know HRT is really safe it's one of the safest things I've ever given as a doctor so if a woman takes HRT and doesn't feel any better then Mm -hmm. you just stop it you know Mm -hmm. it's not like giving something that's going to have potential problems for the Mm -hmm. majority of women the benefits outweigh the risks The whole breast cancer risk of HRT, it hasn't been proven with the type Mm -hmm. of HRT that we prescribe the body identical hormones. So actually, when we people don't know, you know, doctors don't know, women themselves don't know, then we often say, well, just try it and see. And then if it doesn't feel right, you can stop it. So it's it's very easy. I'm tempted to myself. I mean, estrogen is good for anti-inflammation. Last week, I watched an interview with Dr. Peter Diamandes and Dr. Jennifer Garrison of the Buck Institute, who I'm sure you know. She's working on the female reproductive longevity and equality. And one exciting point that she discussed is what she's working on in her research lab is how to postpone and potentially completely avoid the menopause for women, more from a youthfulness longevity perspective than from a childbearing perspective. What is your view on this and the opportunity that this potentially would mean you touched before on the economic impact as well? How do you see the future of what's going on in this space? Well, I mean, there is some research looking at giving transplanted 
ovary or actually you can preserve some ovarian tissue and have it put back into your body when you're older but my sort of argument is why not just take hrt which is derived from yam plants it's the same structure as we produce ourselves and it's dirt cheap as well you know Mm -hmm. every single woman on the planet will go through the menopause so therefore most women would benefit from hrt so actually, we want to make it cheap and easy and available. And we've got good evidence that it works. So there's, I think our energy should be giving women what is available that's evidence-based rather than trying to get more or different treatments, really, for women. We asked our audience for some questions. We have some interesting questions here, so I'm just going to jump over to that. One member of my audience recently turned 52. She says she has hot flushes, which are really her worst symptoms. She doesn't understand where they come from. She knows it's hormonal, but she wants to know what it stems from, how it manifests, and what she can do. Yeah, so the vasomotor symptoms, hot flushes and night sweats are the commonest symptoms, as I've said, of the perimenopause and menopause. And it's due to the thermoregulatory part of our brain. So the part of the brain that affects the way that um, our temperature control, if you like, the thermostat of our brain. And it's thought to be due to shifts in estrogen. So when estrogen levels drop very quickly. And so a lot of women find they're a lot worse during the perimenopause and early menopause. But we also know that vasomotor symptoms actually are a marker of disease. So even if women only have a few, compared to women who don't have any, they have an increased risk of heart disease and osteoporosis. So the most important or the the best way of managing them is obviously treating the underlying cause. So having replacement estrogen. So mm-hmm. and, and, and usually they improve very quickly. Uh-huh. Another question here is what are the first signs of menopause? What's the best way to combat it? We've touched on this a bit. And then in the same vein, what is the ways of estimating when you're going to get the menopause? And is there any testing that can be done like an ovarian reserve scan, etc.? Yeah, so everyone's experience of the perimenopause and menopause is very different. And so it's very difficult to know what are the commonest symptoms because Some women find they have, like I say, the hot flushes. Some people don't get any hot flushes and they find they just feel very low and flat and socially withdrawn. Some people find their sleep is affected. Some people find they just have some urinary symptoms. So it really varies. And that's why the questionnaire that's available on the Balance app is so important to download Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. a lot of women you speak to say, well, are you having any menopausal symptoms? No. But then you say to them, have you got any muscle joint pains? Yes. Have you got any pins and needles? Yes. Are you feeling more tired? Yes. Is your sleep poor? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, these are probably menopausal symptoms. So that's why it's really important to know. The only way of knowing what age you're going to be when you're menopausal is having a crystal ball, which <laughs> you don't have. So sometimes there's a clue if you have a mother, uh, maybe a, an aunt, a sister who's gone through an earlier menopause, then it might be that you might too. So it's worth asking your family members. But there isn't, like I say, a, a test. And you'll Google or you'll read about all sorts of tests, but actually often they waste a lot of money and they're not actually going to help. But then it's if you spin it on its head, like I said before, and think of it as a hormone deficiency with health risks, Mm -hmm. then even if you have very few or no symptoms, you need to think, well, should I be taking it to protect my heart? We know that women who are menopausal are about five times more likely to get a heart attack than women who are premenopausal. And if a woman has a heart attack, she's actually more likely to die than a man who has a heart attack. 
And so what can we do to reduce our risk of heart attacks? Well, we obviously need to look after ourselves. We need to eat well. We need to exercise. Some people take a statin. But actually, if you look at the evidence, taking HRT reduces risk of a heart attack more than taking a statin. So, you know, we could be thinking about estrogen as a disease preventing treatment, not just as a symptom controlling treatment. Wow, that sounds very exciting. Next question from the audience. What are the usual gaps or how long can they be between cycles for someone who had a very regular cycle and potentially is perimenopausal? And are there any particular vitamins or supplements that could be taken at this stage? So women's periods obviously really vary don't they some women have very regular periods but they're only every 21 days others it might be 31 36 days it really varies so that's why it's really important to monitor periods when you're young actually and then see when they change some women find their periods become closer together some people find that they're more spaced further apart but also some people who are perimenopausal have just regular periods but they might find that they're either lighter or heavier so any change in periods with symptoms suggest perimenopause. When people ask about supplements, it all depends about what they're wanting to take supplements for. So everyone should really be taking vitamin D because we know it's good for bone health and there are probably some other advantages of taking it too. But there are lots of supplements that are marketed for menopause or menopause vitamins or supplements. But I usually say if it's got menopause written on the label, then avoid it because it's usually... (laughs) A marketing scheme actually yeah so mm-hmm. we should really get as much as we can out of our diets so that's really important and that's hard actually for a lot of menopausal women because they often don't feel like cooking they haven't got the same energy or motivation and they often have sugar cravings as well which is a direct cause of the low estrogen but looking at getting as much nutrients and vitamins from our diet is really key And then um, we need to have adequate calcium in our diets to help with our bones is really important. Mm -hmm. Oily fish obviously is good for our brains. Mm -hmm. And then if we are looking at supplements, it's looking at what we're taking them for. So some women will take a supplement to try and help with a hot flush, for example, but that's not going to help reduce their risk of heart disease or osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. Some people might take a supplement such as magnesium if they're getting migraines, but then migraines can improve with HRT. But then if they're still getting migraines, then a magnesium supplement might be good or a fish oil might be good as well for other reasons, or some people take a probiotic. So I think it's important to think about supplements and vitamins once the hormones have been balanced and you're trying to optimize your future health, as Mm -hmm. opposed to taking a vitamin or supplement for your menopausal symptoms, if that makes sense. That makes complete sense. Yeah. Is it possible for hormone decline to be completely reversed by BHRT, so bioidentical hormone replacement therapy? Yeah, possibly. What we don't know is how much by. I'm doing some work with a company you've probably heard of, Glycanage, looking at yes, that. Nina. And um, yeah, <laughs> and I think that's really, really interesting. And I think probably yes. My mother-in-law won't mind me saying this, but she's 85. She had a hysterectomy when she was 36. And when she was 37, she started taking HRT because she was feeling so dreadful. And Mm -hmm. she got her glycan age done recently and hers came back as 36. So that was the age she had a hysterectomy. So that's very interesting. And certainly a lot of people who take HRT, their biological age is low. And, you know, mine came back as 20, which is just 
bizarre because I'm, I'm 50. I had mine recently done and mine came back as 11 years younger, but you've... Yeah, no, I don't know why. <laughs> and it's not just because I take HRT, you know, I, I look after myself, I don't drink alcohol and I don't smoke, so I'm sure that helps. But yeah. it definitely slows down. It's not going to stop aging, but it depends mm-hmm. on how you define aging. And I think this is what's really important. So a lot mm-hmm. of people think aging is about, you know, some wrinkles or it's about a number. But actually, when you look at the aging process mm-hmm. causing disease, I think that's mm-hmm. where it's really key. And, you know, some people who want to play devil's advocate with my work will say, well, surely women are designed to be without hormones and you're just playing with nature. But actually, I don't think we were designed to live without hormones. And certainly Mm -hmm. young women certainly weren't designed to live without their hormones. Mm -hmm. So, And we know from some really good research by someone called Walter Rocker in the States show that if women have their ovaries removed at an early stage, they have very accelerated aging and Mm -hmm. a really increased risk of all the diseases I've mentioned. And so that's really important to address, actually, and to consider why we should be taking estrogen replacement if we've had ovaries removed, especially at a young age. Mm -hmm. I have a question here around how does pregnancy during the later years of perimenopause affect the onset of menopause? And does it delay it, for instance? It's difficult to know because everyone's different. So you don't know what it's delaying it because you don't know what the age would be anyway, if you see what I mean. The crystal ball effect again, exactly. How do you screen for the risks associated with HRT or the assumed risks? And are there any side effects of HRT? It's a good question. Most people worry about the risks. And if you Google HRT, it always comes up with risks first before benefits. If you have oral estrogen instead of the transdermal preparations I mentioned, there's a small risk of clot. So Mm -hmm. usually we recommend to have the estrogen through the skin because there's no risk of clot. The other risk that everyone worries about is the breast cancer risk. Now, Mm -hmm. estrogen on its own has been shown to be associated with a lower risk of breast cancer by about 25%, actually. So Mm -hmm. that's really interesting. The risk with breast cancer has been associated with the older types of progestogens, the synthetic progestogen, but the risk is still really low. When you look at even the worst studies showing the highest risk, the magnitude of risk is similar to the risk a woman has if she drinks a couple of glasses of wine most nights. So you don't open a bottle of wine and look at the label and it says risk of breast cancer. (laughs) And that's not saying that labeling of wine should be different. They should be made more aware of how low the risks are. We also know Mm -hmm. that any type of HRT that a woman takes, studies have shown that they have a lower risk of dying from breast cancer. So mm-hmm. it's not about getting breast cancer. It's about what happens afterwards as well, really? which I think is really important. Mm-hmm. We, we also know that women who take HRT for more than 20 years have a lower risk of all these diseases, including cancer and death as well, actually. So there are a lot more benefits. Some women do get side effects. Often it's because they're not on the right dose or type. The biggest mm-hmm. limiting factor, I suppose, would be progesterone because some people mm-hmm. do get a progesterone intolerance where they can feel a bit lower in their mood. Some people could be bloated, a bit more irritable, but there are ways of reducing or changing that. So we sometimes use progesterone given vaginally, so it's not absorbed in the same way into the body. And there are different sort of ways of minimizing the doses. So that's why it's important that women see someone who's familiar with prescribing different types of HRT. So 
So many women I see just say, oh, HRT doesn't suit me. Well, why would your own hormones not suit you? You know, so it's looking at body identical hormones are the best because they're less likely to cause side effects or problems. But some women, especially younger women, need a lot higher doses of estrogen because you want to replace them to the extent that they should be having them. So if women are still experiencing symptoms and they're taking HRT, then they should consider changing. For women, I mean, we have the Balance app, which is fantastic. And for women that would like to see a physician, not everyone is trained in this area. So what would you recommend is the best route through the Balance app? Would that be sufficient or would you recommend finding a specialist in HRT as well? Yeah, I think the training for healthcare professionals urgently needs to be addressed. I'm sure you know, with the menopause charity that I've recently founded, we've launched a educational program for all UK GP practices and GP practices in Southern Ireland to be given for free. So through my not-for-profit company, we've developed a remote learning program for healthcare professionals about the menopause. So it's got lectures on there and it's got different cases where we've filmed actresses actually acting out different scenarios. And so people can learn from that. So that's available for anyone, any healthcare professional across the world to learn from. What I'm hoping is that women can help educate the healthcare professional by having evidence-based information. And then if doctors, nurses, other healthcare professionals have enough women asking them, then they're going to be almost shamed into having more education. And, you know, as as a healthcare professional, you wake up in the morning and you want to do the best you can for that Mm -hmm. patient. But -hmm. if you haven't been given the knowledge or training, then you're not going to be able to help in the right way. And, you know, like I say, I think back about lots of women I've seen in the past and menopause wasn't on my radar, I didn't think. So Mm -hmm. therefore I didn't give them the right treatment. So It's very important. And I know we've talked a lot about HRT, but it's very important women are given holistic advice and treatment as well. So we did a study recently of 3000 women and found that only 24% had been given any information about lifestyle or exercise. And it's really important that we look all over because all of us can improve something about our lives. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no point me having HRT and smoking 20 a day and drinking three bottles of wine every evening. But (laughs) we need to be looking all over to improve our future health. And that's really key, I think. So just to summarize that you were saying, the holistic areas is also to look at lifestyle, at nutrition, Mm. at dietary exercise. Are those the main areas that you also focus on? Absolutely. And I think just sleep and well-being as well Mm -hmm. is really important. I think we're all far more stressed. We can't switch off in the same way. So Mm -hmm. I think it's really having time. I've learned the older I've got, probably the more selfish I've got because Mm -hmm. I need to carve out time in my diary to do yoga. I need to have time to cook properly, to sleep properly, to rest because Mm -hmm. otherwise I can't work as hard as I can. So at the time I'm doing yoga, I think, oh, I've got 50 million emails coming in and I should be doing this, but no, actually this is Mm -hmm. my time and I need to exercise, but it's also good for my brain and body and stamina and everything else. But I think as women, we're always pulled in so many directions. We're so Mm -hmm. used to multitasking, but as we get older, we have to look after ourselves because I don't think anyone else really looks after us, do they? (laughs) No, exactly. I found that myself as well. So important just to take that time because if you've nothing to give, then Mm. you're not much of a use for anyone, (laughs) including yourself. So just before we close up here, for my listeners interested in understanding optimizing for the menopause longevity, 
which are the main online resources or books that you would recommend they start with? So obviously the app Balance, which Balance is a free, app. it's a free app which can be downloaded from the App Store and Google Play. My website is menopausedoctor.co.uk. Also the, the menopausecharity.org has a lot of evidence-based information and resources on there. I record a weekly podcast, which is called Use and Health, which I interview all sorts of amazing people. So that's worth a listen. I have a book called uh, On Menopause, which is the Haynes Menopause Manual. And then the end of August 2021, I have another book called Preparing for the Perimenopause and Menopause, which is published by Penguin. So there's lots of resources. There's another amazing book called Estrogen Matters by someone called Avram Blooming, who's an American professor. And that's definitely worth a read as well. I'll link all of this into the show notes also for my listeners. Do you have a final ask or recommendation or any parting thoughts or message for my audience? The most important thing, whoever's listening, whatever age, whatever gender, is to get some information because all of you listening will know a woman who at some stage will be going through the perimenopause and menopause and just normalizing it. And I think what I want to do is try and make people think of the menopause as a really positive time in our lives, actually. It could be a time mm-hmm. where we're most productive. And so it's got to be changed from something that could be negative to very positive. But we have to get the right help and support for that to happen. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on today, Dr. Neeson. It's been so informative. Oh, it's been great. Thanks ever so much for inviting me. Hi everyone, this is Claudia again. Before you take off, thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope you learned as many valuable insights on living better for longevity as I did. I'd love you to join our longevity tribe so we can learn and grow together, as well as hear your feedback. So please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review to let me know what you thought. Thanks so much and take care.